You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here along with Gregor Chisholm for the Blue Jays podcast. Gregor, our MLB.com Blue Jays reporter. The Blue Jays, one of the few teams making news this week, so we have some stuff to talk about, Gregor. We'll also talk about the Hall of Fame and former Blue Jays on the ballot. Top 10 prospects list for catchers is out. The Blue Jays have a player on that as well. But let's start with Curtis Granderson, who is now a Blue Jay, although not officially, I think, as we record this podcast. Um... What does he have left, right? Is that the biggest question here? He hit 212, 26 homers, so he still has some power. 70 RBIs in 2017. That was with the Mets and obviously the Dodgers late in the year. Um, but the Blue Jays, it's one of those, they're not really throwing a lot in here, and maybe they catch lightning in a bottle, right? Yeah, that, that is kind of the mentality a little bit. And, and to a certain extent, it's, it's following the blueprint that they set aside for the infield. We saw them take care of that first with, Alemis Diaz and Young Jeffrey Solerte, and, uh, you know, they were kind of role players, I guess, to a certain extent uh, around the infield, and now they're taking a somewhat similar approach uh, to the outfield. And one thing they, they do like about Granderson is, you know, despite the advanced age, he still offers quite a bit of versatility in the outfield. So uh, the Jays could look to, to move him around a little bit there as well. But the other part um, that they're really zeroing in on is uh, starting him against right-handed pitching. And, and that's where his numbers last year did hold up pretty well. Uh, obviously, there is that pretty big tail-off with the Dodgers late in the year, and that's what the Blue Jays have to be concerned about. And as you touched on, how much is actually left in the tank. Uh, but the Jays are basically looking at his splits, career splits, and then also the splits from last year. I mean, it's a guy that they, they can platoon, in theory, with, with Steve Pierce, who can play against lefties. Uh, and, and then Granderson gives them another option against right-handers. Now the question is whether or not the Blue Jays are going to be add, able to add another piece around him, another significant bat to really in, improve that lineup. This provides a bit of an upgrade, but probably not as big of a one as Blue Jays fans have been hoping for. He's been in the National League for a few years, but obviously a long history with the Yankees and Tigers in the American League before he moved over to the senior circuit. Uh, certainly something interesting. He's a great clubhouse guy as well. Uh, handles himself tremendously around the media, does a lot in the community generally as well. So a good guy to have, if nothing else. Um, another story that came up, J.P. Morosi, I think, right now has a story on MLB.com about this. But Marco Estradas obviously hit those struggles midseason last year, started the year on a typical Marco Estrada pace, finished the year well, um, and he's saying that he wasn't sleeping well in the middle of the season. Stress, some concerns about the trade deadline, um, but he seems to have worked all that out or worked it out during the year. But it was interesting to hear after the fact he's now kind of come out and, uh, and talked about this a little bit, what the issues were. Yeah, he's been a little bit more forthcoming now, and, and it's something he talked about towards the tail end of the season as well when he signed that uh, one-year extension for the Blue Jays. Obviously, one of the things reporters went back on was his 2017 season and why there were some of those struggles. And what he talked about then was that uh, you know he, he didn't feel like it had anything to do with uh, stuff that was going on on the field. Uh, he admitted to having some personal issues away from the field. And then the latest interview, he's talking about uh, how he just started sleeping better. And so I think the two of those are, are, are pretty... Uh, tightly connected to one another. And then certainly the other factor that came into play was 
was the trade deadline. And I mean, Marco Estrada uh, is clearly someone who has established a pretty big level of comfort uh, with the Blue Jays and in the city of Toronto. Uh, and, and I think he was really kind of rattled by, uh, you know, all the speculation uh, midseason last year. Now, the downside to that is he, he better hope that he, he's learned how to deal with that because uh, there's no guarantee it's not going to happen again in 2018. I mean, that's what happens when you're going uh, year to year, which is he's doing right now on that one-year extension. Uh, there's a possibility that those rumors are going to pop up again, and certainly he hopes that's not the case, and the Blue Jays hope that's not the case because that means they won't be in contention and, and, and they want to do bigger things than that. Uh, but it's not necessarily going to go away. So it, it's going to be one of those live and learn situations for Estrada. Even even as a veteran guy, it just shows that some of those veteran guys still uh, do need to go through some of those learning phases off the field as well. All right, the top 10 catching prospects list is out on MLB Pipeline. Uh, the right-handers came out on Tuesday. Top 10 left-handers came out on Wednesday. Catchers today as we record this on Thursday. They'll go through the rest of the fielding positions, and then the top 100 prospects comes out on January 27th. But for the catchers, the Blue Jays check in with Danny Jansen, number eight. When you look at the list overall, Gregor, a lot of these guys are far away from the big leagues, and then there's some guys who have made their big league debuts. Jansen's interesting because he could certainly be a factor in 2018. Did you expect him to make this list? Yeah, I did after the year he had in 2017. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that Jays have been talking him up internally now for, I mean, really since 2014 is when he, he first went on their radar. But in terms of uh, across the league attention and certainly breaking into the rankings, it, it was the season he had in 2017. And, uh, you know, part of that was it was you know his ability to stay healthy for the first time in three years. That That's obviously first and foremost. Uh, there were a few things, uh, you know, kind of away from the field that he adjusted as well. One was as simple as getting fitted for uh, glasses, getting prescribed glasses, and, and that really helped improve things in the, in the batter's box as well for him as well. So, you know, in 2017, we really saw a breakout in, in power for him. It was the first time he reached uh, double di- digits in home runs, and he's, he's not going to necessarily be that high home run guy, but he's, he's a guy who needs to have a, a decent amount of gap power in order to be successful and so it really was a breakthrough season he's kind of established himself now as, as, as the favorite to be the catcher of the future and in terms of 2018 right now he's competing to be number three on that depth chart I mean Russell Martin and Luke Maley are, are going to be on the big league roster we know that uh, but uh, right now the only other two uh, catchers are, are Jan- on the 40-man roster are Jansen and Reese McGuire. And so Jansen has an opportunity in spring training to come in and, and establish himself as that number three guy so that if and when uh, Martin or Maley goes down with an injury, uh, he's going to be right there to step up and, and potentially make his big league debut. It's interesting because McGuire is a guy that used to be on these lists, uh, really mm-hmm. highly thought of, and, and his uh, star has faded a little bit, whereas Jansen has clearly come on in the last couple of years. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame ballot, the Blue Jays with some candidates, uh, some better than others, I guess, as far as their chances. But Roger Clemens is is obviously a guy that had a Hall of Fame career. It's just a question of whether or not the voters decide that they can put the fact in the PEDs and all of that stuff behind him. Uh, sixth year on the ballot right now out of 10. He's at 65.6% with 50 45.3% of the ballots in. That's the latest numbers I have um, as they collect these and put them up on the Internet. That number will likely drop probably into the high 50s if we can go by past years. But he is trending in the right direction. He only pitched a couple of years in Toronto, Gregor, but 97 and 98 were unbelievable. 41 and 13, a 2-3-3 ERA, two All-Star games, two Cy Young Awards. And I was looking at all of his career stats. You could argue 1997 
was the best year of his career, 21-7 and seven and 205 ERA, and he threw 264 innings. When Blue Jays fans look at Roger Clemens, kind of where, how do they think of him? Because obviously he was a Red Sox for a long time. He was a Yankee. He was an Astro. He had those two years in Toronto, but they were special. No, they really were. And he, I mean, he's not remembered fondly, mostly because of the way he exited. Just like um, Boston, and, I think. <laughs> and, and the fact that he, he had asked for a, a trade away. But, uh, I mean, the fact is, you, you, what you touched on is, is exactly true. I mean, you're talking about not only arguably his best season of his career, uh, you're talking about arguably, uh, you know, the, the greatest single season pitching performance in Blue Jays history. And Toronto fans certainly remember that well. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt that, that he became a bit of a controversial figure. But uh, when you look at the performance that he had in those two back-to-back years uh, for the Blue Jays, I mean, it came at a time when the, you know, the, the back-to-back World Series were still fresh in the minds of Blue Jays fans and they were trying to get back there. That was a big major splash in the free agent market uh, that the Blue Jays did with then-GM Gord Ash and, and really put together two of the best. I mean, you, you think about Roy Halladay, you think about Dave Steve as the top pitchers in franchise history, uh, but if you want to break it down to a season or two, uh, I mean, no one has a, had as good of a run as Roger Clemens did in Toronto. So an unbelievable run for him. Fred McGriff is another guy. First five seasons of his career in Toronto. Um, Sixth in the MVP vote in 1989. McGriff's a guy that um, gets a lot of discussion as a guy who's kind of not appreciated as much as he should be. How is he appreciated in Toronto? He's definitely appreciated in Toronto. There's, there's no question about that. I mean, you look at five years and you think, okay, that's not that much. But, uh, you know, I, I still think a lot of people think in, up here think of him as a Blue Jay. And I think one of the reasons why they, they think that is just because they followed his uh, development through the, the Blue Jay system and, and then breaking in with the, those five years that he had with the team. Obviously, he's remembered a little bit more for his inclusion in, in the blockbuster deal along with Tony Fernandez for R- Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. Uh, but McGriff was really an underappreciated slugger. I, I, you know, I think the Jays fans saw him early, and so they, we have a different uh, appreciation up here than, than maybe some did down there. But uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of time for him to get the recognition that he really deserved. And when you think about the era that he played in and some of the accusations that have been made uh, about some of the players from that time, I mean, Fred McGriff really garnered a reputation as being a, a guy who played clean, who played it the right way. Uh, and that historical context, when you think about it that way, his numbers probably hold up a little bit more than they maybe they even do on the surface. And so, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a challenge for him to get in. Obviously, there's no question about that. Uh, but he's a, he's rightfully uh, in the mix because, uh, you know, it, it's nice to see him after such a long career and so productive as he was for a number of teams, uh, you know, to see how his numbers actually have held up over time. Yeah, 86-90 to with the Blue Jays, and then, of course, traded away, and then they win the World Series in 91 and 92. So tough tough timing on him, although because of that trade, he's obviously an integral part of those World Series titles in a different kind of way. Uh, Other guys that played for the Blue Jays, although they're not in any way um, thought of as Blue Jays, Omar Vizquel played 60 games as a 45-year-old with the Blue Jays. Scott Rowland played in 08 and 09 with the Blue Jays. And Jeff Kent made his Major League debut with the Blue Jays. I didn't even know that until I started looking around here, Gregor. Uh, he was 24 years old back in 1992. He played 65 games, got his first big league hit, his first homer. So lots of players on this ballot with Blue Jays ties, although Clemens and McGriff, I think, the two biggest conversation points for sure. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Blue Jays edition. For Gregor Chisholm, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.